You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this podcast, a recording from the second webinar organised as part of Framing Ageing, a clinical, cultural and social dialogue. Panel 3, Narrating Gender and Ageing, featured three speakers. The first speaker was Associate Professor Linda Short from the University of Warwick, who spoke on Unfit Ageing, the ageing male in Herman Kinder's writings. The images used in this talk can be viewed on the project website and in the video of the webinar. Both are available on framingaging.ucd.ie. All right, so in this short paper today, I'd like to look at how Herman Kinder represents the experience of ageing in his writing. Now, although I had initially planned to explore this in at least two texts, because of time, I will in fact only focus on one. It might be useful to give you a bit of background on Kinder before I begin. So Hermann Kinder is what might be considered a bit of a secret tip in German literary circles, um, because despite his extensive publications list, he has actually been publishing since uh, 1979. But his works have often, rather unfairly, stayed largely under the critical radar. In the past 20 years, he's published three literary works which are relevant for our purposes. So the fictional mother-son story, Um Leben Untold, On Life and Death, which was published in 1997. The so-called Methuselah novel, Mein Melaten, which centers on an aging family father, a 20th century Methuselah and his friends, some of whom meet in Melaten graveyard in Cologne. And the fictional hybrid narrative, Der Weg allen Fleisch, is The Way of All Flesh, an illness narrative which was published in 2014 and which I'll focus on today. Um, change the slide, please. In different ways, and the titles of these works will have already given this away, all three books explore the process of aging through the wider frame of what it means to be mortal, thematizing how people live a relationship to death at different stages of the life course. Now, Kinder is relentless in spotlighting what we might call the darker sides of aging, and themes that recur in his writing are illness, decline, and anxiety around death. While ageing studies often tries to keep illness and ageing separate to resist dominant social representations of ageing and make clear that old age is not synonymous with failing health and redundancy, Kinder is actually preoccupied by this intersection. And this is perhaps because of his own personal situation. So the illnesses that feature in his writing echo his own illness career. But it's important to note that his works don't just conflate aging with illness and decline. Instead, Kinder seems to try to acknowledge the heterogeneity of experience, making space for other aging narratives. So, for example, those normally silenced by the discourse on successful aging developed by Rowan Kahn. Now, while successful aging eradicates the stereotypical narrative of age's physical decline by focusing exclusively on the positive aspects of aging, placing huge emphasis on the importance of the individual's health behavior and choices, Kinder pitches his narratives against this, focusing on the primary reality of the sick aging body. He flags up some of the limitations of the individual's ability to control their aging experience and makes clear that 
by applying the successful aging framework of living fully, healthily and meaningfully, a framework which doesn't allow space for body concerns and physical and psychological issues around decline and death in aging, we actually run the risk of disadvantaging and excluding those who experience these. Now, this becomes particularly clear in The Way of All Flesh, which tells the story of Ka, a man who's in his late 50s when he's diagnosed with granulomatosis with polyangitis, a disorder which inflames the blood vessels and then damages the organs. Over the course of the narrative, which spans several years, Ka experiences, amongst other things, respiratory, circulatory, heart problems, aneurysms, embolisms, a fatty liver and retinal detachment. And although his prognosis is one of steady decline, this isn't presented as a failure at aging or indeed a failure at life. It's just a reflection of life's contingency, man's physiological makeup and this particular illness trajectory. Now, in many ways, The Way of All Flesh is a subversive text, which doesn't try to transform illness into a redemptory or spiritual experience like many of the illness narrative types flagged up by Arthur Frank in The Wounded Storyteller. Instead, focusing on the body as a site, the book depicts the dissolution of a disciplined body self, outlining the reality of what it means to be living towards death, presented here as The Way of All Flesh. Death isn't sequestered off. It doesn't come at the end of a happy third age after a short, intense decline. Instead, Ka lives that which people tend to fear, a slow and painful decline in physical uh, capabilities and functionality, which he is actually hyper aware of, but which he nonetheless feels compelled to try to survive. Switching between first and third person narrative styles, the book mobilizes traditional sociocultural scripts of masculinity that tend to sideline emotional distress by adopting a compact laconic style. Even in the face of extreme bodily vulnerability and debilitation, so we get like graphic scenes of rapid gastric emptying and diminished mobility, Khan generally presents us with stoic resignation and falls back on humor to tackle more difficult topics, such as the loss of his forefoot, which is uncannily imagined at one point as an independent entity running along beside him. Now, the book contains a series of 12 drawings, and I'd like to focus on these here because they not only open, close and punctuate the text, they also offer an alternative narrative voice. Marked by an economy of means, these drawings depict everyday scenes and experiences. They're largely in sync with the textual narrative, but they're more than just visual translations of the written word as they speak their own language. While the textual narrative uses techniques like foreshadowing to compress events and speed up the illness story and avoid sentimentality, the drawings slow things down, revealing levels of complexity and emotion that the text deliberately masks. They interrupt the flow and direct the reader's eye to particular moments using distortion and ambivalences to encourage a meditation on the male body so we can observe how it comes undone. This is not a cool or rational medical gaze. The body depicted here is not a body to be envied or emulated. By exaggerating features and distorting proportions, the drawings make the physical and psychic body visible. The arc of the series is one of decline. It starts with a portrait of the self, and you can see that here, and with a body largely intact. Although the figure displays generic signs of aging, gray hair and wrinkles, the body, dis is the body disappeared under a black top is not yet demanding attention, even if we can see the early signs of illness in the redness of the face. If you could just change the slides. Um, this changes in later drawings where the body is displayed naked and vulnerable and leaking body fluids. 
It's presented as slug-like at times. And um, so you can see here in the first drawing, the head sinks into the body, blurring the boundaries between body parts and giving it a shapeless form. When we look at how the figure is portrayed in the series with sagging folds of flesh cascading downwards on both face and posterior, reflecting perhaps the increasing weight of gravity, which seems to almost drag Ka downwards to the floor, it seems that the grotesque is invoked offensively and defensively. On the one hand, it's used to create anxiety around unreliable bodies. On the other, through the use of the comic, the grotesque actually defeats anxiety by making it amusing. And we see this in Ka's transformation. Similar to Aschenbach in Death in Venice, at the beginning of the text, Ka encounters an old man whose physical form repulses him. The encounter condenses Ka's early attitudes to aging and death. He's bored by the old man's reminiscences and disgusted by the space that his excessive and transgressive old body takes up. And Ka resolves to live old age differently. He visualizes an old age tearing around the Swiss Alps on his bicycle, enjoying the landscape and the exercise, as well as the thrill of outperforming other hobby cyclists. And this personal ideal of an aging but still fit and competitive manhood is connected to what Kalisanti and Slevin called doing. So that means performing in ways that seem appropriate. It's an anticipatory fantasy of growing chronologically older without aging, and it reflects his anxiety and fear of aging. And it's precisely this possibility of an imagined old age that he can control, which is nullified by illness. Unable to exercise and bloated from his medication, Cal becomes the, the antithesis of his old age ideal. He is now the excessive body that spills over in waves for whom cycling is only a remembered activity. Now, in general, both the text and the drawings force the reader to confront aspects of illness and aging which normally remain unseen. And this includes invisible structural forms from architecture to advertising that exclude aging and impaired bodies, but also the aging body itself, which is normally covered, as well as the amputated foot stump. Hidden in his shoe, this is the unseen cause of his rolling gait and off-balance stance, which outsiders observe but cannot explain. And in the drawings, you can see the stump is presented for examination. We also see Ka's fears of death made concrete as his leg rests on a black scythe that extends to wrap around his swollen body, almost enveloping him with a fleshy death skull stump. And if you just change the slide here, these signs of decay actually stand in contrast to the image of Ka's post-operative body, which is hooked up to a series of heavy weights, which he's unable to lift. Comically lifted into the air with a chair underneath, his sporting efforts are not a way of empowering the body. Instead, this body work confirms his incapacity. If successful aging praises sport as a way of taking control of one's health and reshaping the body to extend the life course through good pain, this drawing shows Ka's attempts to be a good patient to try and abet his recovery and extend his life, but these efforts are futile and the pain he feels will not improve his condition. In the final drawing, which we can see here, it's number three on this slide, um, the illness which normally wrecks destruction under the surface of the skin breaks out. And we see the body organs and fluids leaving this fleshy sinking ship, escaping out to take up space in the public sphere. This is a representation of the crisis of the body, but also a depiction of what Kathleen Woodward refers to as the fear of the fragmenting body and aging, which Ka is actually living. Hovering suspended while still attached, even the ambiguity of the organ on display, is it a stomach, is it a tongue, challenges any notion of bodily integrity. 
The catheter and oxygen tubes draw attention to medical procedures to extend life, but the body itself appears monstrous. An impression which is reinforced by the horn-like tubes that dominate his red and swollen face and the yawning dark hole of the mouth which appears as the entrance to the site of illness and which appears to be laughing. Only some organs are shown reflecting the felt anatomy, so the grayed out misshapen lungs here reflect their diminished capacity. The surgical scars on his legs and churned out foot draw attention to the amputated foot stump. This is a body which is in the process of exceeding its confines. It sags, it leaks. In its depiction of an anatomy of decline, the drawing draws attention to both the painful process of staying alive and the process of dying, which is already underway, leaving the reader in no doubt that as the Benini quote which precedes it states, dying is the last thing that Kat will do. By placing this image at the end of the text, Kinder seems to deliberately undercut the viewer's emotional response to his protagonist's plight. Kat is not presented as particularly heroic or tragic here, he just is. We see him clinging to life as the last line of the text states, immer in Erwartung des Unabsehbaren, so always in expectation of the unforeseeable. To bring this to a close then, Kat's experience of unfit aging is not just a becoming aware of the body, but a sense of being overwhelmed by bodiliness. This reshaped body, as the drawings make clear, is something which he is deeply ashamed of, but which he needs to actually keep going. This is a body which is no longer under his control, and it's the interplay of the text and image which allows the reader to gain a more nuanced understanding of what this looks like and what this feels like. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Framing Aging. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from our events, check out the project website at framingaging.ucd.ie